live, live, live. <laughs> coming soon, Halloween, coming soon. What are you guys doing for Halloween, man? Halloweeny. We're all still alive on Halloween. Halloweeny. People love Halloween. People love Halloween because there's no pressure involved. It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas. It's not even your birthday. It's Halloween. It's the only day a year you can really kind of let your hair down. And then that's when everything goes haywire, man. It's all about treats. It's all about tricks. It's all about laughing, having a good time. It's supposed to be anyway. It used to be much kinder, gentler back in the day. These days, People get a little crazy, man. A little crazy. But there's a lot of neighborhoods out there where Halloween is just the same as it was 50 years ago in a lot of places. So that's kind of cool. And you keep that, keep it going. I know when I was on Long Island living down there, there was a big deal. And then, you know, it was, you could trust your neighbors. You could trust the people down the street. It wasn't like like it is now. <laughs> it's now. I don't know what the hell's going on out there now. Ugh. It provokes me. It's provoking me, man. So we're talking about provocation, talking about provoking tonight, provoking entities, provoking uh, UFO, provoking a Sasquatch, whatever the hell you're going to provoke, whatever. But this is typically uh, a spiritual-related ghosts, geists, entities of sorts. And, you know, I'm not going to attach labels to anything. We're just going to roll on down, roll on down the hill. So is it good to provoke? Is it necessity to provoke sometimes? Is it fanfare on television? You know, you got your paranormal show and you're like, oh, show me you evil spirits. Show me yourself right now. Whatever you use to provoke, call it names. <laughs> I've been cursed out. I've been cursed out through all those voice boxes. Not that radio one either. The uh, This one just turns uh, uh, energy waves into words. So, and it was saying stuff it wasn't even designed to say. Telling me to F off. <laughs> but it was a mansion with a serial killer. You know, we, we had to provoke that dude to let others go. So... In that case, you needed to provoke. In that case, it was important. I had three mediums sitting there, all doing their business. And then here, this is the cool part. Uh, and, and like as I was walking around taking pictures of all this as it was going on, uh, there was this this white image in the window of of someone praying, like some kind of uh, you know nun type of garb praying. Very interesting stuff. That was an eerie mansion up in Clyde, New York. It's actually a bed and breakfast. And then, you know, even the B&B thing. Now, the eerie mansion, ugh, I'll tell you, it's a beautiful place, 12,000 square foot mansion. It's got unbelievable furnishings. I mean, stuff that you don't get to ordinarily see. Big suites, rentable and all that. And a long sordid history of a serial killer who lived there back 100 years ago. And 
you know, all the, the dirty deeds that he did, and then ultimately hanging himself in the basement. There's a long story attached to it. Bill Ely, and he was just some some trash, you know, of, of rich rich folks. Like his mother was wealthy and she married into a wealthy family and all that other stuff. So long sordid, interesting history if you want to get into that sort of thing, but it's not really Disneyland, that's for sure. And the guy who owns it, Mark, is a guy I know well, and he uh <laughs> His daughters, or well, his daughter, his daughter had come stayed up on the third floor. The you know, it's a huge mansion. On the third floor was the servants' quarters. Uh, while the family was away, one servant killed the other servant, and you know, cut his head off. They found his body, like when they came back, but they his decomposing body. It's nice, nice little things leave around, and then they didn't find his head. They didn't find his head until sometime later <laughs> you know so yeah you know it has that kind of history and i don't know whether you see this is interesting because i've run into this a few times and it stands out to you where a house a property a location grabs somebody and draws them in brings them in and and you know they accomplish what was needed to be accomplished so like you know, with the Erie Mansion, that place was a bombed out, bombed out building. It was a, a beautiful mansion at one time. It was sold off and, you know, sold. It went and turned into disarray and it was carved into apartments and there was a fire there. The apartments were all bombed out. My friend uh, Mark was going by one day and he saw it and he, he brought that thing back to its its better than original glory better than and uh and it's and he looks like he belongs there he fits in he's even got the handlebar mustache and all that you know it's just interesting and there was another case with a school teacher she was drawn into this old victorian and a whole bunch of stuff happened there we investigated very interesting too no provoking going on there. That was all good energy. You don't run into that a lot. When you do investigations, they're, they're because people are having issues, there's something reaching out to them or they don't want them in their place or whatever it is. There's a whole bunch of, of what sits and what it could be. And sometimes you just have cranky, cranky spirits, <laughs> you know, cranky in life, cranky in death type of thing. And you have to kind of just roam, get around that, or tell them leave you alone, or tell them leave. Period. A lot of them don't want to go. So that that's the whole deal when it comes to that. And the mansion there, the Erie Mansion, it was a lot of torment, and death, murder, you know, stuff like that. That that just really pounds a hole into the earth, and and it stays there. So you wondered. What happened on the land before that? You know, it runs along the Erie Canal, you know, a couple blocks away, the Erie Canal is. And what 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 is it that draws the people in? Is is it just a psychic uh, uh network band reaching out to you? They're they're they want the house to be rebuilt, they want the place to be brought back to what it was again. So I don't know. 
there's a lot to be uh, pondered upon that upon that subject, but provoking, like I said. So you know, on Halloween we did this big thing and have had the seance. You know, I called a crossing, whatever you want, and then it was just initially to to rescue a few of of the entities that were there that didn't want to be there that were being held by this dude who was a serial killer and he was dominant over everybody there right and then that was the that was the provoking during during the session provoking him so he focused on me whereas the mediums were able to do what they did so whether you you know it depends you you get into it you believe it not believe it this is just what happened you know that's just what happened in that spirit box like again, not that ITC that scans uh, radio frequencies and chucks out whatever words. I, that's really that's I don't know. You're you're stretching it by trying to say that those words have anything to do with what you're doing, right? And and people really want to if they want to believe in it, then they're they're going to get something out of it. Me, I don't believe anything until it's proven to me, and that's that's my deal. So when I dive into these things, there there are are elements that I need of evidence to to keep me going. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. Otherwise, it's a bunch of bunk. Anybody can walk around an empty building and say they heard or they felt or they did anything. Anybody can have some medium come in with no credentials whatsoever. They can say anything about anything. You don't know. You don't know. I got pictures. I got voices that weren't there. I mean, there. You know, I've had physical experiences. That's what keeps me going. So, anyway, provoking, keeping somebody busy, and I also did it in another place called the Taylor House, where, where again, you had a, a domineering figure, a dominant figure, who apparently was uh, uh, some kind of clergy, who was in control of of the other spirits that were there, and. And this is uh, uh, another situation where we had uh, two of the same mediums and another different one go into the nicest part of the building. It was big. Again, that was around 8,000, 9,000 square feet. Big, huge, big, huge building with, with a uh, some kind of community center that was built onto it. Taylor House in Lyons, New York. So they did their business. I was up on. I was up in the attic with with Pete, <laughs> dude. I do the shows with and, and the investigations. We're up there with, with holy water, <laughs> whipping holy water around. Yeah, yeah. It was like that, chasing that. Pete has dowsing rods. Those things were pointing at whatever this thing was running, wherever the thing ran. I was throwing holy water on it and saying all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Woo! I tell you, man, I felt the electricity. It was, it was, you know, when, when you're in that moment, you feel it. You know, when we did this train crash one time, a hundred year old, 99 years from, from the time that the train crashed, you know, till now we went there and did the anniversary on the day. Cause I'm a big believer in anniversaries. I'm a big believer in the date of something happening, uh, you know, to truly try to reach out and make contact with something. And uh, so we went to the crash site first picked up on some some young girl even got her got her on uh, evp talking even saying 
saying mommy. <laughs> I got stuff. And we had uh, this medium with us, Tammy. She's picking up on it. And then I don't know whether the girl came with us or, or whether she just zapped back, but we all went back to where this place called the Roundhouse, this big, huge building where you turn trains and there was a train station in there too. And, you know, it was all covered. It was huge. In there, you know, like 29 people died. So at one time, one point where where we were like really getting into it, I feel like, you know, you build a bridge and, and once that bridge is established, that's when all these things start happening. Uh, you you can feel it. You feel the electric. You feel that chill and, and you can hear them. I heard them walking around us in the dirt and everybody had to kind of stay calm and chill out. And that. You know, you see these dudes, uh, they're so funny on like YouTube and all. The people that kind of go in these old buildings or whatever, if they see something, well, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of it's bullcrap. So, but that 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 one percent point one, these people like scream and they run out of there like, ah, <laughs> what are you running from? It's it's what you're doing. You're going, you know, you're doing a paranormal investigation. You're not going to Denny's ordering a grand slam. You're you're out there looking for these things. So, oh, here comes something looking all funny, coming at you. Good. Talk to it. You got stuff to say. What are they going to do to you, really? You know what I mean? How many times do you actually really hear about stuff? Negative. Totally negative stuff happening. Those people are possessed. They jump off a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does happen. I heard all kinds of stories about that. But this is more of trying to understand why, why the essence of, of that, that being is still where the hell they are and why they're there and whatever. And you want to be able to help them, right? You want to be able to kind of get them over to the other side. So whether whatever whatever the clue is to do it, we did a case up in Genoa, New York. This lady lady contacted us saying her daughter, two-year-old, was spanked by, by some shadow figure wearing a hat. <laughs> All right. Shadow figure wearing a hat. That's interesting. The place was down the block. She she was pointing at the local graveyard, which had Native American roots and that type of thing, but also, you know, others. I mean, this this town went back, you know, like 1650 or whatever it was. Way, 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 way. I don't know, man. <laughs> Early 1700s, uh, that house was built. So, and the house had the barn and the whole bit. And, uh, you know, so the woman also said that aside from that, uh, she said that uh, she's been feeling a tugging, tugging at her skirt when when she's like uh, in in the living room or other parts of the house. She's heard voices and whatever. So we brought brought Nicole in, you know, Nicole Berardi, right? She came in, and man, she, she finds stuff. Oh my God! She also heard a, a pounding on the wall, and uh, there was like this this elderly type of of, of feeling. This woman. And she would smell fresh sugar cookies. And then she had a dream, this woman, that the old woman said, I have to go now. Uh, you know, it's time for me to go, whatever. And she left. And she said after that dream, she didn't smell the sugar cookies anymore. But in the room where she heard the pounding on the wall, I mean, it was just a thin wall. And there was the, the hallway outside. It wasn't like some animal could get in there or whatever. I mean, we checked all that out. And uh, we brought Nicole. And Nicole said, she saw a, a woman giving birth in, in a bed, and she was, like, kind of in agony. This is going way, way, way back, and she's 
was taking her fist and pounding up on the walls. Like, ah, right there, you know? It made sense. The whole thing started making sense. And then we determined that the guy was just one of the owners of the property hanging around. It wasn't like a negative entity. I guess the kid the kid was doing something that they, she shouldn't have been doing, and the guy spanked her booty. So you got a kind of ghostly babysitter going on. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So in a situation like that, there was nobody to provoke. You didn't have to, you know, the, the guy was actually indicated that he was waiting, that he was waiting for someone. So, uh, you know, maybe waiting for someone to pass, whatever. Maybe he was just attached, attached. You know, he spent a lot of time apparently out in his barn, you know, like a lot of dudes in their garage or barn or whatever you got. Whatever you got. I see a lot of guys in their cars now. <laughs> They're resorting. They have nowhere to go in their house. They have to go out in their car. And you know what they do when they're in their car? They make videos and they, they put them out there on YouTube. Videos bitching about the government. <laughs> and you know they can't stay that stuff in front of their wives and girlfriends, man. So that's why they got to sit in their car. They like take the dog, you know, take the dog for a walk. <laughs> they get in the car, pop a beer and start bitching about stuff. <laughs> Ah, I love it. Never-ending entertainment out there in this crazy old world. So, provoking. You know why you have to do it. Then you see, who's that? that Zach. Zach Baggins, that dude. Those guys. He does it all the time, but he does it when it's unwarranted. You know, you don't have to do it. And most of the time, he's talking to nobody. I got news for you. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, that guy's just being a poser, talking to nobody. They they've got to maintain their audience, and they've got to claim all kinds of stuff. But if if you know any legitimate paranormal investigators, they're gonna they would laugh laugh at you a bit over dudes like that. So you're always you're always gonna have that part of any kind of any kind of world. You know, you're always gonna have those those types of people. So it, it doesn't really do any good to uh, to be like that, honestly, because there are people out there doing legitimate research, and those people should get a lot more credit than they get because, you know, every investigation is different and all the information is different, and it's hard even to say what an expert is because, you know, it's not really an expert type of thing. It's an investigation type of thing. You could be an expert at investigation. A critical thinking and gathering together evidence and doing that type of stuff. You can be an expert at electronics, you know, and to, to gather evidence through electronics or whatever, you know, whatever, man. But to say that you know what's exactly happening, why it's happening, is, is a far stretch. You can assume, you can uh, uh, gather together information from different investigations and say, well, this was the same and that was the same, or that was sort of the same, or we encountered this before, but expert. I don't think so. God damn it. So the real Poltergeist, the, the the story behind the movie Poltergeist, when Poltergeist came out, scared the crap out of everybody. You thought Jaws was bad. You thought Amityville Horror was going to be the horror. No, 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 no. It was the Poltergeist. Because the Poltergeist, Killed people. <laughs> All kinds of people. The like guy freaking died practically that was surrounding this polar guy. So anyway. Let's see. Uh, 
1958, a man named James Herman got a call from his wife. That simple phone call started a series of events around the family's poltergeist. Let me do this here. Poltergeist. How's that? The experience in Long Island. You see, and you always notice, being somebody from Long Island, and I say Long Island, of course, people down, people down there will say Long Island on the North Shore where they talk like this, Long Island. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. The experience on Long Island, New, New York, uh, inspired the famous 1980s movie propelling the term, uh, you know, to infamous new heights of poltergeist. Of poltergeist. So, like the Amityville Horror House happened on Long Island and a whole series of other things, you got this too. That's why. Isn't that nice? So, as people are so famous down there. Let's <laughs> have a round of applause. All right. It's one of the spookiest and most famous movies of all time surrounding a random family focusing on their uh, adorably scared little daughter, Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Carol Ann. Poltergeist is a 1982 American supernatural horror film directed by Toby Hooper and written by Steven Spielberg. So he got Steven Spielberg in there, right? But you didn't know that. If you did, based on the family who lived in a house occupied by malicious spirits. All right. Featuring some of the creepiest scenes in any horror movie of its time, playing of the uh, imagery and kind of the power of the evil spirits that are attacking the family. Everyone remembers the moving clown doll, been mocked in movies like uh, Scary Movie and it was Scary Movie 5 or whatever it was. You remember the misty hands and figures coming out of the walls. And, of course, the television. And who can forget the skeletons in the pool? And they were real. So they used real skeletons. You know, they used real voodoo stuff, too. They, they use all kinds of real things. And when you make it a movie, you may think, like, okay, these are great props and whatever because they're legitimate. But you're actually making a movie about a poltergeist. That's the, that's the kind of provocation that you don't really want, right? You don't really. And these aren't paranormal investigators. They might have had one or two hanging around. You know, 1982, there wasn't a, a ton. It wasn't a huge thing. It, it was kind of on the down low because most of the people are like, you do what? You do what for a living? I hunt ghosts. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? ghosts you know what i mean it's, it's kind of like and i wasn't doing it back then yeah i was in, i was in high school 1982 i was young young whippersnapper i believed i already had paranormal experiences by then i've already seen stuff i believed and then there's always a ton of stories you hear stories you know growing up in whatever town you grew up in yes yeah, stories this one, that one, that house has this, or blood on the ceiling that won't go away. Whatever, man. A whole load of them. So, and I love them. I love hearing these stories, right? All right. All the stuff happened, and the family had to get up and leave the house. Keep in mind, 
we did a very similar place in uh, upstate New York, and <laughs> this this was that people got pushed down the stairs, scratched from head to toe, doors open and slam in the middle of the night, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. People telling them basically to get out. You know, uh, this woman was in bed, and there was somebody, some thing sitting on top of her, pressing on her chest. She thought she was having a heart attack. She went to the ER twice for, for that. So the family took off in the middle of the night and, and left. They left. First, they reported to us. Pete went out there just to see if it was real, if it was bunk. And then we set up a time to come in. Boom, they left in the middle of the night. They're like, we can't take it anymore. And then six months later, I get a call from a dude because I used to advertise, you know, on Craigslist for for hauntings and whatnot. I called, I called this dude. The dude called me, and he's like asking me questions. He's like, you know, you gotta do the paranormal investigations, and I'm like, yes, we do. We're ready to believe you. And he's like, I just got out of the army, got my wife, got my kids, and moved into this house, and. My wife got pushed down the stairs. She felt hands in her lower back and it pushed her down the stairs. The door slamming at night and people getting scratched. And then he gave me the address. It was the same house as the other one. Same house. And he didn't know the same. He didn't know that family. It was just a rental. So then we set up the investigation and we went there to do the investigation, brought Nicole with us. And then uh, <laughs> I'm so while we're setting up, I'm outside hanging out talking to people that were walking up and down the street, you know, and, you know, some of them were kind of just like looking at what we were doing because we're going there, all kinds of equipment and whatever. It's, it's a little hard to keep things on the down low when it's like that. Although the side of my vehicle doesn't say, you know, discovery, paranormal ghost hunters or any of that stuff. So anyway, but I started talking to the neighbor and the neighbor said that nobody, nobody has lived in that house uh, the one with the ghost we're talking about, for anything longer than six months. Like, they're in, they're out. So then I'm like, really? And then, so after the after the investigation, I'm kind of, like, thinking about, you know, the house. And before the investigation, I looked up, their, you know, the, the records. The house was built in 1904. And the records, you know, go back around there. But, you know, of course, you know, you're looking for digital copies of something that was written down and little little podunk towns upstate New York like that aren't necessarily going to have anything on hand. But I did call the fire department and then they, they did reference me to uh, to some stuff in the library. And that went back to the same era. And then that house had some kind of uh, some kind of fire where there was deaths involved, you know, and it was it was kind of a, a cryptic article, but. It, it was what it was. So already I kind of felt like some family died in there. I just didn't know how or why or whatever. And I know after them, so the principal of the local high school had lived there for a short time. And then he died there. So you all wonder about that one, too. Anyway, you start getting used to all these things and these stories and then all that. And, you know, when you that's like to me, it's like pay dirt when you have such a haunting and then everything classically terrible has happened that could happen. And then people run out of there in the middle of the night and then six months later, a whole different person calls you from the same address unbeknownst to them. Then I call the landlord and that landlord's like angry, some angry old cuss, you know? And she was like, what do you want from me? Leave me alone. I'm like, I'm like, listen, listen, ma'am, you have a problem in that house and we might be able to help you. <laughs> Already I'm turning into some television nightmare. That <laughs> we have a problem at the house, and I think it can help you. God damn it. We don't have any time. 
It's going out of control. She hung up on me. So, all right. <laughs> all right. But explain, explain how the door, like the basement door, had a big, heavy, square bolt lock. I mean, you know, almost like, like from, from a, uh, like, like, looks like it belongs to some kind of freezer, like old-timey freezer. Big, heavy freaking thing. You have to really pull it and slide it for that thing to open. This guy would lock that door at night and slide the lock. And then 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, he would hear the freaking thing open and slam. Boom, 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 like that, like over and over again. He runs downstairs, and then there's the door wide open. And then these, these people have flipped out. Yeah, of course you're gonna be flipped out. There ain't no mouse doing that type of thing. Mice don't don't function like that. Little mice. <laughs> so, okay. Obviously, you got a haunting. But I'll tell you, we went in there with Nicole. She went in there, she did St. Michael's prayer. You know, she she did her little thing, she opened up her gate in her mind with all the stuff that she done. Whatever. Two and a half years later. Uh, like after that, the guy was kind of pissed off that his wife, his wife ended up in 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 the shot. And I told him, don't stand in front of the camera. Whatever is going in the camera view is going to be on, you know, in, in the show when we make the show, you know, because we don't charge for these investigations, but we we make a kind of a show out of it and more evidence in an investigation, right? Okay, his wife got the shot a couple times and whatever, you know what I mean? You can't worry, can't sweat the small stuff. And uh, so then, you know, I didn't hear from the guy. Two and a half years later, the guy sends me an email. He's like, hey, we're still living in the house and, and nothing's happened since. You know, you guys are great. Thanks so much and all this other stuff. So, you know what? That's right. It, it's about going in and helping people out and, and getting good results if you can. So anyway, on the set of Poltergeist. Well, having to do, all right, so the curse, the poltergeist curse. And these bad things that happen to the cast and crew is is real, you know, and you have to ask yourself, like, you know, I mean, yeah, bad things happen to people, sure. And, you know, bad things happen to, to one or two people. Do bad things happen to groups of people who have a common denominator, something like this? Oh. I don't believe in coincidence like that. So anyway, Heather O'Rourke, one of the actors, she was Carol Ann, adorable little Carol Ann. She died from cardiac arrest only five years after the movie was released. She was only 11 years old. She was like in a couple of them, <clears throat> and then she had died. That freaked everybody out. You know, kids don't usually have heart attacks and that type of thing. And she was really immersed in, in you know, they had psychics on the set and, and stuff like that. And, you know, like I said, all, all these artifacts and also the skeletons, all of that combined, you know. So, she, I don't know. It's not good to, to do that type of thing. It's not good. That's the kind of provocation that's not for any kind of intended purpose other other than they didn't know what the hell they were doing. If they did, that's really a, a sick type of thing, you know, or to see if you could conjure something up and you're dragging innocent people in there, right? So Dominic Dunn played the older sister, Dana. 
She was murdered by her ex-boyfriend, John Sweeney, in the same year the movie was released. Uh, Julian Beck, that's the evil preacher from the poltergeist there. You know that dude? Ah! Yeah, that, that, that guy. He reminds me of Joe Biden. Yeah. Carolyn. I want to sniff your hair. Oh, Carolyn. Now, don't go near that guy. Run, run the other way. So he took his own life after being diagnosed with stomach cancer. Yeah. So I don't think he was very happy about that. And strangely, uh, this was. <laughs> This was real. This happened before the movie was even released. So, and Will Sampson, who played Tyler Taylor, the native shaman, died during surgery in 1987. Uh, during filming, it's rumored he performed a real exorcism to calm the cast and crew. Ugh. So here you have four, four cases, four cases. And that's just the heavy stuff of people dying, whatever. On the site, the, the, the set, and as they were shooting, all kinds of stuff was going on, right? Anyway, so the real ghost story, like I said, goes back to James Herman on Long Island. And uh, decades before Ronnie DeFeo murdered his family, the Amityville Horror House. And that guy was a freak, man. I lived in South Amityville, not during that time, but I lived there way after. And... Uh, there was a bar that I used to go to with a friend of mine and shoot pool and hang out here and there. The, the bartender was the bartender who received this guy, uh, this guy, Ronnie DeFeo. He like killed his family. And then he went down the block to that bar. The bar was right there. And actually the town's called Copeg. So it was like just a block off. And then uh, he was telling me like, he came in like, all freaked out and, and he was acting right and he was talking crazy and then the cops showed up and they, they nailed him so crazy man so but uh this guy james herman james got a telephone call at work from his wife lucille they said their teenage child uh her teenage children jimmy and lucy heard popping noises in all of the house when james came home his scared family got up the courage to look around. They found uncapped bottles in different rooms, one of them a small vial of holy water. No information on the bottles was given. If uh, It says if, if I were to ask any questions, it would be, were the bottles already in the house? And since it was mentioned, I guess they were. So, so five days later, the bottles... The popping bottles returned, and then the next day again, the whole time, telling his family to keep their mouths shut. And then soon after, James saw bottles move about his bathroom, just sliding along the counter, not a care in the world. It's uh, one thing for his family to be scared, but now with him. So what did he do? James called the police and then really wished that 911 call was supposed to do you. <laughs> Hello, 911. 911 operator, can I help you? Yes, uh, there's bottles popping in my house and they're sliding. This is crazy shit in general. Yeah. Get over here right away and save us. You know. Okay, sir, have you had anything to drink this morning or this evening? Are the bottles popping full of alcohol that you're consuming? No, there's some kind of poltergeist going on in here. Oh, help! 
help. You gotta be on nine one one here and all. Those people have to probably hear every freaking crazy thing there is on top of that. You know, the police officers came. <laughs> You're probably thinking, oh, all right, it's just like you know, the car to the mechanic. The minute you arrive, everything's fine again, right? No, the bottles popped when the cops were there. This led to experts being brought in. Tests done to rule out radio transmission or electronic disturbances that could possibly pop a bottle top didn't help, leading up to February 17th when the priest arrived. Ah! Somebody leaked. There was a mole in, in, in the woodwork, man. Oh, the soil. Um, maybe a cop or the priest, but someone shared the story with local reporters. Articles were done about the phenomenon including an article in the very popular Life magazine. You know, it's in Life. You know, everybody's going to see it. Almost. <laughs> Fame didn't embarrass the bottle-popping spirits. It egged them on as the activity continued. Okay, here comes the doctor. Then Dr. J.B. Ryan found out he was the director of Duke University's parapsychology laboratory. Yep. Duke, 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 Duke. All right. And then uh, let's see. The ghosts uh, being a big part of American life back in the day, especially as much as it is today. Ryan approached the Hermans with a new way of looking at the haunting. He believed it was Jimmy and Lucy, James's teenage kids, little, little, little scamper kids. An event more known today, the chaotic energies of puberty. So the kids' puberty was popping the pile tops. I hope they didn't pay this doctor anything. <laughs> I hope they paid the adult ass guy. You got to go. You talk about my kids, my kids' puberty popping some bottle top. You got to go. I mean, when I was when I was that age, I was popping my own bottle cop cap. <laughs> I, I get you. But they won't talk about my kids, man. Get out of my house. He thought that the kids might be attracting the poltergeist energy. Brought in colleagues and to study and all that, you know, with family interviews, recorded accounts of the mysterious occurrences, just like in the movie Poltergeist. But the movie was ghost-based, and this was people-based. And a not-so-climatic ending in real life, the arrival of the experts caused the activity to stop. Makes sense when you think about it. The kids being told they're the, the focus of the investigation. Naturally, they feel some kind of deep shame. Shame on you for your puberty. Oh, these people are all idiots. They're all idiots. You see, that's what it was like in the 80s. <laughs> you think today's bad. It's bad today. They're probably more idiotic. But man, before the internet... <laughs> It was it was bad. It was bad. Full of misinformation. People getting their facts off of cocktail napkins and stuff. Yeah. Or your 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 mom's Britannica set is freaking 40 years old already. <laughs> You're reading about World War One Britannica. So and then the family the family moved away. And then nobody said a word about it ever since, man. No, no, no. Bottle tops, no nothing. What's what's up with that? So, all right. 
Then you have your Hollywood types, all right, who are dramatic, full of verbal diarrhea, and they all have their experiences. Now, you know what? People need to come out with ghost stories so they can, they can kind of be part of it, right? I mean, they want to be part of it. So you get your Miley Cyrus in an interview with uh, L, L, E, L, UK. Cyrus revealed the London flat that she was staying in during her 2009 European tour was haunted. She said it was seriously so terrifying. It used to be an old bakery and they turned it into an apartment building. And I was having really crazy dreams and really scary things. I, 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 I dreamt I had to bake bread for a living. Oh my God. And, and serve people. <laughs> Nightmare. I had to work for minimum wage. She said one night, uh, her little sister, it sounds crazy to tell you, but she was standing in the shower and all of a sudden I hear her scream. I run in there and the water had somehow flipped to hot, but it was, it was still set to cold. It wasn't like the water had just changed. Oh, it's Europe. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought if it wasn't like that, that'd be weird. I went to the bathroom and the water was perfect. Poltergeist, yeah. But the her little sister was really red. Uh, she said, before I felt this, I thought I had seen a little boy sitting on the sink watching me take a shower. So I felt really freaked out. I bet not as much as him. Looking at all those tattoos, he didn't know what he was dealing with. <laughs> like, he's got a lot of tattoos, but I think it's female. I don't know. I don't know. He was probably sitting there trying to figure out if it was male. <laughs> what gender am I dealing with here? I don't know. Things are different now. I was sitting there right next to him, and maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> maybe I'm crazy. Oh, you love it when crazy people say that. <laughs> Woohoo! Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, Miley Cyrus. I don't think she ever has to say maybe. <laughs> I think I think she could just pshht, I'm crazy. You know what I mean? She said, uh, okay, I'm crazy. But I could have sworn I saw this little boy sitting there on the sink, kicking his feet. <laughs> My mom was getting mad that we were looking into it because she thought it was going to scare Noah. Who the hell's Noah? So, so then my aunt, who we hadn't told about this, comes in and she starts freaking out. She's like, I had no idea what happened. But I left the apartment and came back, and all the doors were windows were open. Mm. I locked the apartment. I'm like, tell my mom. She doesn't believe anything that is happening in my life or in the apartment, but tell her anyway. <laughs> You're so goddamn dysfunctional family. Ah. <laughs> and even the ghosts are laughing. So she told, so she told her, I'm like, Mom. <laughs> Mom, see, I'm not making this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm having too much fun with it. 
I will never stay there ever again. When we started looking into it, we found out that this guy, this son, this guy owned the bakery. And it was one of these where the dad owns it, then the dad owns it, and then da 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 You mean a family-owned business? And there was this older man that owned it, and his son lived there with him. And I guess the wife died or something. She had gotten sick, so it was just the son and his dad lived there in the bakery. And then the dad died, and the son took over the bakery. And I thought of seeing the son. I'm not even kidding. I thought we had a little kid sitting there. Little kid <laughs> sitting there on the on the sink. That wasn't the son. People gotta get that fact straight. Should I ask him to bake some bread? Go make me a donut. Get him, get him busy. It'll be freaky if actually donut materialized, man. <laughs> I don't like donuts, but damn, that'd be interesting. How about Kate Hudson? Check out Kate Hudson. You know what? I don't know whose people are. I know who Miley Cyrus is only because she's a freak. Kate Hudson. I hear the name. The face isn't really familiar. I couldn't name anything that she ever did. I know that she's in movies. And that's about it. So Kate Hudson. Hudson has been seen, uh, has seen ghosts plenty of times. The actress revealed in an extra DVD clip that she thought nobody was ever going to see from a 2005 horror movie that nobody saw. The Skeleton Key. The Skeleton Key. Does that that freak you out? (laughs) I never heard of the skeleton key. Have you guys heard of the skeleton key? I've heard this delicious Sumatra coffee that I'm drinking. Skeleton Kingdom. She said, uh, I've seen a ghost of a woman with no face. And that was really creepy. And another time, my grandmother came to me, and I woke up and felt amazing that she was around me. And that's all she had to say. We got Taylor Taylor Momsen. I'm looking at her picture here. She looks like a ghost herself, man. She looks like she got some, some, need, some need for rehab. <laughs> Something going on there. I'll keep my comments short. <laughs> Momsen has photographic proof that ghosts are real. My mom grew up in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, and her next-door neighbor died. She was wealthy, and her belongings got put into a museum. So I went to I went ghost hunting and took pictures and talked to her and all this stuff. And there are actually two images that I took, one of a hand on a typewriter and the other her entire body in the window. You see, that's the stuff I want to see. And then it ends there, and they go on to share. You know what? I want to see pictures. Don't just talk about it. Put it out there. Show people. What do you got to say, share? I think that share is a ghost. <laughs> I don't know. She hasn't aged in a long time. You're a vampire. Vampire. Something going on. Cher thinks her late husband, Sonny, who died in 1998. You know, he died. He died skiing. He, like, skied right into a tree. And then there's this thing about trees. They don't get out of the way, you know. So whether you're skiing, driving, walking, whatever the frig you're doing, those trees don't care. (laughs) If 
if you smash into them. I've seen these huge trucks smash into the, these trees. On my way home, there was this tree, like my normal route, and I take this road, and I found a few cars smashing to pieces against the tree at the Golden Nine One One. It almost you could like sit there and wait for people to do it. The tree was no more, I think, than probably eight inches in diameter, maybe ten, something like that. This tree had destroyed cars and trucks. These things just crumple into pieces. You gotta respect it. So when you're skiing, don't ski near the trees. That's my my medical advice to you. You know that? So Sonny died in 1998, and uh, she thinks it's haunting her till this day. She says, I love ghosts. I actually think that Sonny makes a light go on. Yeah, I have I have a beautiful chandelier that he makes the light go on when it's when it is uh, impossible. There is no power on. I love ghosts. I prefer ghosts to some people. <laughs> you think she having regrets over Sonny? Poor poor little dude. I got you, babe. Wasn't that that song? I got you, babe. He's probably singing that in his little ghostly body. I got you, babe, making the, the light go on. We got time for one more. Anna Nicole Smith. She's dead. The late Anna Nicole Smith. Gorgeously beautiful woman she was. Terrible life, man. Bad choices. Reportedly hooked up with a ghost in 2004. A ghost would crawl up my leg and have sex with me at an apartment a long time ago in Texas. Uh, I don't know if that's a ghost or could be a snake, could be a spider, or just a, a Texan in general. They're pretty slithery. I used to think it was my boyfriend, and one day I woke up and it wasn't. <laughs> was that you touching me? No. Oh my God. It's a snake. That is Texas, though. Snakes. It was like, uh, she said it was like a spirit, and it, it, it went woohoo, miming a ghost flying. From her to her bed sheets and went up. I was freaked out about it. But when it was, I was like, oh, well, you know what? It feels good. <laughs> so, yeah, as long as. <laughs> Ooh, as long as she liked it, man. You got the ghost in there? Hey. <laughs> Come on, Anna. Listen, what's up? What's up, baby? Go, go get best man. <laughs> We're going to get this going on, Anna. Come on. Woo! Call up your leg. Man, 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 man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> I know I'm crazy. You guys should appreciate it. <laughs> Just be thankful it's not you or anybody you know. You know what? She said after the interviewer claimed it could have just been a dream, Smith denied the allegations, saying it was not a dream because it was happening every night. I told my boyfriend, and he didn't believe me. Of course, men. Anyway, anyway, I don't know. There's a lot out there. So, so don't provoke if you don't have to provoke. If you got to provoke, then you provoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever it is, if you need to provoke it, you provoke it. Just be prepared. Be prepared for the aftermath of your provocation. That's all I have to say. I'll see you guys next week on this here show. I love you all. Mwah, 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 mwah. Bye.